Saturday night. Oh, that's right. I uh, listen, and this is good. Thank you for having me on. This is Adam West and AdamWest.com. Don't forget that AdamWest.com. We have so many goodies for you. We will begin mass invasion. We'll tell your people to surrender now and avoid war. Don't think you get me so easily. It is now time for us to put Earth under our roof. It's your sacred duty to tell us the truth. Confess and take that you will give you witchcraft. You think me to believe that you can overrun the entire world? We cannot be defeated. We have never been defeated. That is the message. Yeah, they're dead. They're all messed up. Five by Saturday night. From the front porch of the Farmers Telekinesis Exchange and Water Reclamation Facility, directly behind the perpetual grease fire in Area 51, it's clickbait for the years. Welcome to Talkcast 383, this edition of Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Tonight, with absolutely nothing whatsoever to say about the current soy pseudo-crisis, I'm your host, the guy in the funny hat, the Dome. Joining the talk cast tonight, we've got a full cast tonight in the Peabody Time Tunnel. Sitting at the Sci-Fi Saturday Night Help Desk, when we now can no longer hear her typing, it's our own taciturn technical trouble wrangler, Kriana. And everything seems to be working. She found the sound effects button. She's back in the Dank Dungeon semi-automatic book spine refurbishing room, found behind the cloistered entrance to the Francis Scott Fundamental Sing-A-Song Meditation Center at Cyborg University's ancillary campus in East Spineland, Vermont. Welcome, Sombrarian. I have nothing interesting to report about my colony tonight. The housekeeper cat army continues to grow. And life is good. Mm-hmm. And, of course, the man who never said, hey, how's the weather up there stretched to Doug Jones? I swear, he never said that. It's the man who tried to print a wooden nickel for a dime on his 3D printer, just to prove a point. Our very own futurist and gamer, the guy who likes shiny stuff and needs taco seasoning, awake by Java. I found my taco seasoning. Oh, cool. So we're doing okay then. Yeah. Excellent. Price is averted. (laughs) <laughs> so what happens when one of my favorite writers asked to come on the show to talk about her new stuff and you're expecting kind of what she wrote before nice vanity fan, fantasy with inventive quirky universes and when you get the review copy it's a post-apocalyptic dystopia with poison monsters icky gooey deaths and well in any case Ariel Sealing returns to us tonight. Ariel, welcome back to Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Thank you very much. Um, again, I, I've got to tell you, I was a little thrown only because I had no idea that this was going to be a post-apocalyptic story. Uh, it's, you know, after uh, Rutherford the Unicorn Sheep and the, the Sagaton Chronicles, it just wasn't in the cards what changed 
to bring you into this universe? So um, I've actually been wanting to write uh, an apocalyptic fiction story for a while now. I love the concept. Um, I've watched a lot of the post-apocalypse shows. I like reading post-apocalyptic novels, um, but I wanted to come up with something new. And so I didn't, I didn't do it. Um, and then one day it just popped into my head. I was like, what if the world ended because of monsters? And thus the idea was born. Um, and I really liked the concept. So I just went gung ho with it. And, and the con the concept is there is a whole family, like a genus of monsters called the Garg and under mm -hmm. in, in the Garg, uh, in, in this first story that you've is now on Patreon. Um, you actually introduced your first two monsters, uh, one called the Nagi, which is a large tentacled, poisonous skin, slimy, bad sight, but smells good type of wants to kill you. And the other one is a Gix. And I'm probably butchering every freaking name here. And they are just nasty little ankle biters. Yeah. <laughs> um, those were the first two that I came up with. Um, but the monsters very, uh, just like in real life, animals can be very, very different. Monsters can be very, very different as well. Um, the, the Nagi was the very, very first monster I came up with. And so that's actually sort of whenever I picture a monster in my head, that's the first one that comes to mind. Wow. Long well, that, that's an ugly sucker. <laughs> and you, <Yeah. laughs> spend, you really do spend, uh, um, and I, I kind of mentioned this at the beginning uh, before we went on the air. Um, the first story is like 14 pages long. Mm -hmm. And it is dense. There is a lot of stuff. You introduce uh, the two characters. You introduce the 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 world, or at least the portion of it that this story takes place in. And the whole story takes place on a hillside uh, mm -hmm. outside of their encampment. Uh, and and we go through, and we've got physical descriptions, uh, emotional context. Uh, icky, gooey, yucky monster stuff going on. And uh, you get to the end of 16, 14 pages literally and go, oh, what the hell? Don't stop here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, the next chapter gets a lot more into the community itself and how, um, how civilization is structured now in the post-apocalyptic world. Um, so if you thought this chapter was dense, the next chapter. <laughs> okay, well, good. Um, that's, that's definitely something to look forward to there for sure. Yes. There's a lot of detail and a brand new monster. There'll be a brand new monster in every chapter, at least in this in this particular book. So, so uh, we're, you're bringing this out as part of your Patreon. Mm -hmm. And how often when people subscribe to your Patreon – can they expect to see uh, a new chapter? Uh, once a month is what I'm aiming for. I would love to do more than once a month, but I want, you know, to work within people's budgets and what their expectations are. Um, but then um, the first chapter is the shortest. So for moving forward, there'll be more and more content every month, even though uh, 
even though it's just one chapter. So talk about uh, one, one of the things I found really interesting about the two characters uh, that you uh, introduced in chapter one is that they're both female. Yeah. Um, so this is something that uh, I've sort of fought with myself over ever since I started writing. Um, I mean, I, I grew up in a male dominated world. We're all, you know, brainwashed to a certain extent. And so when I first, first started writing, all my characters were male. And that's why when you, you know, read um, the Seeing Chronicles, my main characters are male because that's just what was in my head and that's just what I wrote. But as I started moving forward, I realized that I didn't really, I, I didn't really understand why I was writing male characters. And it was something I sort of had to figure out within myself. Um, and so I just started writing female characters because I was like, why, why couldn't any of these characters be female? There's a Darth of female characters in sci-fi and fantasy in particular, although it's definitely getting better and better. Um, so when I wrote this series, I really wanted my characters to be female. And I, I just, there, it's a sort of a multi-level concept. Um, starting with just the writing, I wanted to write female characters and, you know, it could be as simple as that. I also wanted people who read my work to be able to connect with the characters, particularly women, um, since there are plenty of male heroes, uh, for, for men to connect with. So I wanted that. And then just looking forward into the future, if, if the series was ever to become popular or if anyone ever wanted to make a TV show or a movie out of it. I kind of wanted to give more opportunities to people who might not have as many opportunities as others. And so women uh, was one. And then all of my characters are also black. So if they were to ever take off in the future, there would be opportunities out there for people who don't have access to as many opportunities. So I've put a lot of thought into this. <laughs> um, well, no, that's I great. I think, uh, I think, you know, if you're going to make that decision, you, you've got some, you know, fantastic reasoning behind it. So all in all, uh, that makes really good sense. Who did the cover art for this? Um, a cover design uh, company. It's a husband and wife team out of the UK called Eight Little Pages. Um, I, I love it. I mean, I think it's absolutely stunning. I'm very, very pleased it, it with how it kind goes. of really is. It's, it's, you know, when, when, when I opened it up the first time and, and I looked at it, I just kind of went, that tells you an awful lot right off the bat. It, it, and again, the, the cover kind of mimics the style of the story in that there's a hell of a lot to deal with right off the bat. Yeah. And, yeah. um, uh, so My confusion stems not from the fact that this is entirely different from what you've written before, but it's just the surprise of that. Uh, yeah. And um, how long did you work on this concept to make it work? Um, we're rolling into two years now. Um, I came up with the concept probably in the summer of 2016. I wrote the 
I wrote, I have a tendency to write things in the wrong order. I, for whatever reason, I like to write book two before book one and chapter two before <laughs> chapter one, et cetera. So I wrote book two in November of 2016. Um, and I was like so gung-ho about it. I was just like ready to dive right in in 2017. But we moved to Baltimore and there were like 800 other things going on. And when I went back and read over the manuscript that I had written, there was something wrong with it, but I didn't know what it was. So I waited. And while I waited, I was, I published two novellas and I, uh, I was reading up on writing and structure and story structure and plot. And all of a sudden, like probably last October, the light bulb went off and I was like, I wrote the wrong book. <laughs> I wrote book two instead of book one. Wow. Um, <laughs> and so I went back last November and drafted all of book one. It was really easy because I had already had the world built up. I already had book two. So I knew wh where I needed to end up at the end of book one. <laughs> um, and then I just, then I went gung ho and started prepping and planning and organizing all of the things that I had to organize. So uh, it it's kind of a a you know something's wrong but you don't know what it is so you just wait for it to tell you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it probably would have told me sooner if I had not started working on other projects instead. You know, if I had mm. made it my my focus. If, but if that was your priority, it, it might have been much quicker. It might not have been, however. No, you don't, exactly. You just, Oh, no. I mean, and on top of that, okay, go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, if you rush it, you run the risk of figuring out it wrong, too. Like you think you figure out what's wrong, but you didn't really. <laughs> do you realize when you've done that, though? Or do you after just. After the fact. Yeah. After you've done all the work, you go, okay, that wasn't it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So while you were waiting for this to percolate and, and figure itself out, you've been writing some short stories and novellas uh, mm -hmm. in the kind of mid to hard science fiction range. And mm -hmm. uh, you've got one uh, coming up, which is being published by Amphibian Press called Beamed Up. Yes. That, um, that's an anthology. So my... Um Beamed Up is the anthology. My short story is called Stock. Um, it's a retelling of Jack and the Beanstalk uh, on another planet. The premise is that Jack is a young woman who is a digger, and her job is filling this large, mysterious hole that is sort of in the center of their town that never seems to get full. Um, and then also in the center of the town is this space elevator, supposed space elevator, um, and made out of living metal. And she gets invited to go there. But unfortunately, all of the diggers who have visited the stock before her have all died. So she has to sort of, she doesn't have a choice for various reasons. She has to go and turns out, you know, there might be something going on, maybe that she has to figure out. <laughs> it's, it's a little it's, darker. It's a little darker? 
than my usual. Oh, okay. A little creepier, <clears throat> creepier than my usual uh, writing. So you seem to be moving into a phase where you're dealing with uh, darker, mature subject matter as opposed to light fantasy. Although Terry Pratchett, you know, and and your your early stuff dealt with some fairly uh, interesting themes as well, the Sagittan Chronicles. So yeah, you've you've kind of, I don't know, turned it around a little bit, doing something different. Yeah, you know, I've been ha- doing a lot of yeah, I've been doing a lot of short stories, um, and I really I've been experimenting with style. Um, I started out just kind of going with what I knew and what with what I understood, and I have been wanting. I sort of been feeling like maybe that wasn't my true self writing style, if you will. Uh, so I figured the best way was to experiment. So I've been experimenting with different, um, with some urban fantasy, with some um, darker sci-fi, and then of course with Land of Sojourniac. And turns out there's a lot of going on in my head that I was unaware of. Um, so it's Wait, been a really a lot of fun to explore. It was waiting its turn, and its time is now. Yes, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) So you've got um, this series of, well, it's not really short stories. It's it's chapterized versions. Yeah, serial. Um, I've been calling it serial fiction. And it's the land of Sjornjek which is yeah. close. I'm never going to get better at it than that. <laughs> uh, you've got a couple of novellas that, that are out or coming out fairly shortly. So what's keeping you busy other than that? <laughs> I mean, that keeps me pretty busy. I'll be honest with you. Um, but because I did the Patreon, um, I have been, I have to also prepare rewards every month for people who sign up at the higher level. So I've been working on, doing some illustrations for that. And then um, I'm doing the audio recording as well for the, um, for the series, the serial. Um, And then, I mean, the rest of the time, just, uh, you know, some freelance work here and there, some copy editing here and there, that kind of stuff. How's life without the ducks? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I, we have uh, near our, our house in Baltimore, we have a park, a huge park. And in the middle of the park is a duck pond. So I actually, I go down there every day almost. And I haven't fed them in a while, but they're really, really tame. <laughs> <laughs> also, I'm sorry if you can hear my dog breathing. We're having a thunderstorm here. so he's No, you're fine. You're fine. Everybody's <laughs> got animals. Everybody's fine. But it's interesting how some people, you know, find a continuity and stay with that. And other people find a groove, then decide, I want to try something else. And literally at this point, between hard science fiction, dystopian science fiction, uh, fantasy, and children's books... You're literally splattering the wall with all kinds of different stuff, and it's all really good. 
<laughs> That's not even all. I actually, this year I had a, um, an essay published in a beekeeping magazine. And I'm working on a memoir as well about my relationship with my grandmother. So we'll see how those turn, or we'll see how that one turns out. I'll probably do some more beekeeping articles too. How, okay. How did that one come about? The, uh, the memoir about you and your relationship with your grandmother? Yeah. Um, so when I first moved to New Hampshire, originally I moved in with my grandmother um, and she lived in New Hampshire when I was growing up and I lived in New York. So I never really knew her. And I lived with her for a couple of years and I got to know her really um, personally, like a friend in a way that I never would have expected. Um, And since then, I moved out and got married and bought a house and all of these different things have happened in life. Um, While she has sold her house that we lived in together and she uh, now has Alzheimer's and is going through a completely different set of challenges. And, um, and I've been there, you know, pretty much for all of it. So I just thought, um, it was sort of, a an interesting comparison. And I felt like the relationship that I had developed with her was unusual for a grandchild and a grandparent, um, who, I mean, I feel like it probably has happened if you grew up with your grandparent or something, but to have an actual friendship relationship with a grandparent that you developed after becoming an adult um, was just interesting. So I've sort of been working slowly on that. Memoirs are really hard to write because you you have to be very personal and you have to share personal details about your life. It requires a particular type of courage, which I'm not sure I've quite developed yet. That's an interesting way to put that. But yeah, I get, I'm guessing that it does. So since you moved from New Hampshire uh, and while you were up here, you had, I'm guessing, your very own comfortable writing style. And now you've moved to the Baltimore area uh, in a more urban setting. Has that changed how you write and when you write kind of thing? Yes. (laughs) I'm going to say yes, because inevitably it it has an effect. Um, Like a really marginal yes, but yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's not something I really thought about particularly, but it definitely has. So um, when we first moved here, I actually took some time off of doing freelance stuff. And so um, I was focused almost entirely on my writing for the first like eight months that we lived here. And I think that was really, really helpful for me. Um, It just gave me the opportunity to not think about anything else, not stress about other projects that have to get done and not, I just wasn't worried Um, And it also gave me time to become a better writer. So I had time to read books on writing. I had time to focus on the craft. Um, And I also um, changed personally in that I stopped rushing. I'm not sure if it was the switch to Baltimore that made that happen or if it just happened to coincide with moving to Baltimore. But 
I think when I first started publishing, I just felt like I needed to get everything done and I needed to get it done as quickly as possible. Um, and now I feel like the opposite. I need to take my time and create the best possible work that I can create, no matter how long that that takes. So the evolution of you as a writer has happened at the same time that you've changed venues, has happened at the same time that you've opened up to a wider level of creative creativity. Uh, so there's a lot going on there. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I'm really looking forward to seeing what the rest of these stories in this, this serial novel um, come about. How long, how many, how many chapters are you thinking about in, in the first book? And more importantly, when you're done, will there be a book? Yes. And yes, but actually I don't think the first question was a yes or no question. Um, so <laughs> there, Kinda wasn't. Will, there will be 11 total chapters in the book. I might release, at least on Patreon, I might release the last two because it's really kind of like a chapter and then more of a falling action slash epilogue type. So I might release them together, but there are 11 chapters total in Tentacles and Teeth. And then um, there will definitely be a book afterwards and people have already been asking for it. So there definitely based, will based be Based on the first portion, I get that, which is kind of why I asked about it because uh, <laughs> it, it's your work has always been very compelling. Um, and, uh, it's always been a fun read. I can't say that this new stuff is fun. <laughs> it's not built to be fun, but it is, uh, compelling. It is very well written. It is a read that entices you to stick with it and learn more about the characters, the, the, way in which they're living the world in which they live and how they survive in it. Our guest has been Ariel Sealing. Ariel, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It was as always, it's a pleasure. And when more good stuff comes our comes your way, please bring it to us. Absolutely. Hey, Kriana, it's time for news. Do we have a news bumper? I love it when a plan comes together. Well, joining us for the new segment is Zombrarian and Kriana, if she's not busy world building, and uh, Java. So, what's on what's on your mind tonight, guys? Uh... <laughs> He's back. So, <clears throat> there's this weird for a month. Oh. Sorry, go ahead. There's this weird game. Hold on. Okay. I had to turn the music down. Uh, there's this weird game called One Hour, One Life. And in it, you have one life, and it lasts an hour if you're lucky. 
And what's cool about it? Well, everybody's naked. <laughs> but Okay. But the reason that they're naked is because you get born from another player. It's an MMO. So you're online on this server. And when you when you get born as a baby, you are born to a player. And pretty much if they don't take care of you, you die. And then you have to figure out there's no instructions. There's no tutorial. There's no missions. You just basically have to not die. And the gameplay itself takes one hour. Is that the deal, or is it? I don't know, man. I've I've only lasted to age sixteen. Because then I did something stupid. I wandered away from my village, and everything in the everything in the entire game has been built by players. Like it's not there's there's no mission. It's just it's just that. It's, it's like, just try not to freaking die. It's like real life. Man, it's real life. If you were prehistoric. And sometimes, sometimes your mom just like up and walks away. <laughs> and you can't communicate as a baby. You can cry if you're hungry. Actually, don't start crying until you're starving, I think. And then, um, and then you can like say, if you reach age one, you can say one letter. So you can't, like, talk in full sentences until you're a teenager. And if your parent just ignores you, you die of starvation. You die. You die. Unless an ant takes pity on you or something. It's it's really Like an weird. insect or, like, your mom's sister? Your mom's sister. Or, oh, okay. Or... Whatever. I don't know. You can't really tell. Everybody looks the same, pretty much. It's crazy. This sounds so weird, that. but I'm, like, oddly intrigued by yeah, it. Yeah, I know. I School ended, so now I'm playing games. And Wait, school ended for you? Yeah. So, you jerk. Um, uh, yeah, well, <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, also, there's this game called Cultist Simulator. And in that it, sounds amazing. I assume I haven't. It's another game. There's no tutorial and there's no explanation. So you have no idea what's going on. You kind of have to work and get money and then not die. But then also you are trying to make a cult or something. I don't really understand it. It's really hard. And the Internet is an awful resource for indie games because no one knows what's going on, except if they do. And if they do, they're really, usually really bad at explaining it. Uh, yes. So, anyway. That's like me the first, I would say, three times I tried to play Fortnite. I was like, what's going on? Why do I want to build things? Where am I going? How does this work? And yeah. slowly I've started to figure it out. And I figured out exactly enough to know that I am not good at playing Fortnite. And I quit. <laughs> <laughs> right I'm still playing cultist simulator I don't understand what's going on and there's and I keep dying but then they reference my pre previous character in each next it's weird 
So two games to check out if you like weird stuff that's frust- more frustrating than fun. What's what's the really weird one? If you're a gaming masochist. I have yeah, also been playing one hour, Red Dead one Redemption. Life. One hour, one life. Okay. Because, I don't know, cowboys. Cowboys are cool. Except yeah. if you're Han Solo. In which case, your movie did not do well. That, that, that's what people are saying. I haven't seen it. Yeah, I, I, I you know, I, I just I I can't bring myself to go see it because uh, I'm starting to get, you know, bummed out on the whole Star Wars thing the same way that I got bummed out on Marvel because there's just too much of it. So do you think that the, they they finally with Star Wars reached the point of oversaturation? Yeah, yes. I mean, there's there just too much. There's just too, it's this. It's not a new thing. It's the same thing. It's always the same thing. I was going to say there's there's a core set of characters, and it's always them. Yep. So there's that. Well, there is um, two interesting uh, movies, or what may be. Uh, interesting movies. Uh, Warner Brothers announced the Jared Leto Joker movie. Yay! Really? Oh, that was <laughs> that was sarcasm. Oh, okay. It's hard to tell sometimes. I know. And uh, there's going to be another Adams Family movie, but this one's an animated version. I'm actually better with that than I would have been with a remake. Agreed. Agreed. Um, If they do some really cool, like, is it going to be 2D or 3D? I don't know. Um, I'm imagining, like, a a 2D claymation, Coraline, Tim Burton-y kind of deal. And I like it. Well, they they went back uh, and used the original Charles Adams cartoons. Oh, awesome! To design the characters, and they look rather claymation-ish, which is kind of cool. Um, ooh, or like a black and white Edward Gorey sketches type. It's very yeah. It's it's very monochrome. It's color, but it's like heavily shifted into monochromatic. And uh, Oscar Isaac is Gomez, Charlize Theron is as Morticia, and I can Chloe, see it. Chloe Grace Moritz is as Wednesday. Uh, Nick Kroll as Uncle Fester. That should be awesome. That'll be great. Yeah. And uh, Allison Janney as the arch enemy Margot Nedler. Oh, she's gonna be amazing. And did I say Bette Midler as Grandmama? No, but I'm so excited. <laughs> so, I mean, the voice work alone looks like it's going to be fun. The voice work alone lo- looks like it's going to be really, really awesome. And definitely uh, look forward to seeing what happens. The the one image that they have right now, and we'll we'll post the link to that image uh, on the TalkCast website, is really, really good. Looks to be really, really fun. 
Um, and they're talking a lot about how, uh, you know, the, the very different ways that the Adams family has been shown since the original New Yorker cartoons. And I mean, it's gone through a lot of, uh, a lot of different, lot of different visions with it. So that's actually one that, you know, I know that Kriana doesn't like animated films, but this one looks really interesting. It's scheduled for an October, uh, release. Of course. So we'll see what happens. I'm really sad that Kriana doesn't like animated films because in the future from when we're recording this, Mm -hmm. but yesterday when people are listening to this (laughs) or June 8th, if neither, if you're listening to it, you're right in six months. Yeah. Um, Incredibles 2 comes out. And I'm so excited. That's taken a long time to get remade. I'm so pumped. You like the first one I'm taking. I love the first one. As a little teenage girl, I wanted to be Violet so badly. I was like, oh, (laughs) she can turn invisible. I want to be able to turn invisible. Because I'm an awkward teenage girl and I hate everything. But yeah. Incredibles was, I will say, one of my first superhero, like, strong fandoms. Which sounds weird, but it's a very classic kind of... In its own way, it it, it, it does kind of... You know, settle into all the classic tropes for sure. Yeah, I think it was it was my gateway to really understanding superhero movies. Speaking of gateways, this is the worst segue ever. Sorry about that. Okay. Um, <laughs> my friend, uh, our friend Chris Prue from uh, Double Midnight Comics, was was talking to me the other day uh, about Granite Con. Uh oh. GraniteCon 2019. And he said, hey, Dome, guess who's going to be there? And I went, I don't know. Why don't you just tell me? And he looked at me and grinned and said, Doug Jones. (gasps) Your friend and mine. Our friend and everyone's friend, Doug Jones, for the first time at GraniteCon of all places and coming off two incredible, incredible uh, runs with uh, The Shape of Water and Star Trek. And he's going to be here. It's definitely squeeable for sure. And and if I could have the booth right next to him, I'd be really happy. But that's not going to happen. Yeah, doubtful. <laughs> I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna get your hopes up, Dome. I think that we're gonna be like across the convention center, we're but we could wave def- at him and say hi. We can definitely wave at him, and we can definitely have like a long form interview, which I am so looking forward to. And actually, we're gonna try and have uh, Doug on the show in August to talk about uh, his convention appearances, his uh, new Star Trek season two in which his character takes a, a much more stronger role and and 
what what it was like being with uh, Guillermo del Toro uh, for The Shape of Water and being the, reunited yeah. with Guillermo del Toro. He did. And because uh, my very favorite Doug Jones movie to this day is still Pan's Labyrinth, which was also Guillermo del Toro. And yeah, because <laughs> I am a Doug Jones nerd. We kind of all are in one way or another, and uh, you know, I I cannot wait. I cannot wait for that. Did we make you watch Pan's Labyrinth yet, Dome? Did you make me watch it? Yeah, no, I've I've watched it like five or six times on my own. So you don't yeah. like horror movies. I do not, but Maybe. I am a huge fan of all things DJ. And uh, I started watching it by accident. Actually, you know who it was? It was Ooh. Illustrator X who, who brought it to me and said, you really need to watch this. And boy, was he right. He was. And it's a terrific film. and uh, He's right about a lot of things, just not... Not Smallville. Smallville, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I am definitely looking forward to GraniteCon being the... the the high point of our conventions this year just because of Doug Jones. Can I tell you an embarrassing story from work? Sure. Are we going to have to cut it out? No, we're not. Someone was checking out the shape of water from the library. And I was, um, I was checking out their library books slash movies and I picked up The Shape of Water and said, oh, my gosh, I know that guy. And then they were really confused. <laughs> and I feel like I had to um, ruin their life a little bit because I said, oh, yeah, the guy who wears the the guy who plays the fish man, he wears the fish suit. I've met him. He's super nice. And they were like, that's cool. Yeah. It's, Give me it's, my movie now. <laughs> It's one of those things that if if you've never met Doug Jones, you have no idea what kind of a wonderful individual he is. Yeah, you don't and, understand why it's so exciting to meet Doug Jones if you haven't done it. And I mean, you know, we've had him on the show five or six times, and and each time you get a little little taste of it. But gosh, to meet him in person, guys, I'm telling you, if the line isn't like a hundred yards long at the meet and greets for him. Um, and at, uh, at Granite Con, the meet and greets are right out on the floor and they're wonderful and you, you can see everybody. And, and even if the line is that long, still go get in line. It's worth it. Yeah. And, and tell them the guys at Sci-Fi Saturday night said it was worth it and then find yes. out for yourself because it, it absolutely is. He's a wonderful guy. And like I said, we're working to have him on in August to kind of promote his, his convention uh, and, and talk about uh, stuff for season two in, in Star Trek discovery, which, Yay! which season one Java, you see, you saw all of season one, right? Did we, lose Did we lose him already? He maybe went to go get more taco seasoning. He could no, have. Oh, yeah. I'm here. Oh, okay. <gasps> Java, why are you sad? I'm not. I'm not sad. I was muted. Uh, <laughs> I didn't. I didn't want to startle anyone. Okay, you didn't. You're very so, ASMR right now. 
Um, Welcome to Sci-Fi Saturday Night, the ASMR podcast. <laughs> um, I did see all of season one. Did you see the alternate, the original uh, character design for his character? I did. It had like big like horns with twenty eyes or something. It was crazy. It was weird. It was. I like his character the way it is. I think it's so expressive and. Uh, his, his character is so wonderfully different from everybody else uh, in that series. And there's a whole lot of characters you can say that about there, too. That they're, mm-hmm. they're all just a wonderfully different crew. What did you think about, about season one? I thought it was okay. Well, hmm. that's resounding. <laughs> well, I mean, okay, so hold on one second. The, 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 let me see if I can express this in a way that's as clear as possible. It wasn't good, but it was okay. Yeah, that's that's about how how good I can do that. It it was it was okay. It was it was better than Enterprise, but not quite as good as the original series or Next Gen. I would, I would put it, I would put it between better than Deep Space Nine, not quite as good as Voyager. Excuse me. Voyager was the second best. Yeah, see, I put the original series above Voyager. <gasps> How very dare you. Nice blasphemy there, young man. <laughs> I I the only reason I do that is um I recently rewatched the original series and um I think that it has a lot of depth that I was not expecting given how often it is spoofed and the stereotypes that have come out of it. That's true. Um, and I think that Voyager, and I, I actually think that Voyager and, and the original series are are similar in the quality of their stories. Um, but I think that what Voyager benefits from is the powerhouse that is Next Generation that the original series didn't have any 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 kind of draw to, to no, it was on its own from the beginning. So, that's so that's true. The, that's why that's why I, I have a tendency to give a little bit of a boost to the original series in my rankings these days. Um, but you know, I could go back on that. I, I and don't don't get me wrong. When it comes to captains, Captain Janeway is like barely kick ass. Probably probably number two over Kirk at number three. Um, I would say. But again, there that would be an interesting battle because on the one hand, you know, she is brilliant and amazing. Um, but Kirk is in his own way, too. They both have strengths. Well, Kirk is, you know, here's my thing with Kirk. He's a war. He's a war hero. Yeah, but he's also a huge nerd. Truth. Like he's a huge nerd. He's like he's like the guy who figured out how to get along in high school by playing soccer 
but you know he didn't play football. Yeah, you know? but Chainway had half a crew of, of cadets and, and and then half a crew of the Maquis and had to make them work together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, she was she was a brilliant leader. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, and and Kirk was. In in the original series, Kirk didn't have to display that leadership. He didn't he didn't have to do any of the interpersonal leadership except among his command team. This is a deep hole. Are we really going to get into this? <laughs> I mean, we could fight out Kirk v. Janeway for um, two and three all day long, but I yeah. feel like yeah. it, it's not the focus of our podcast. <laughs> no, where it is. Well. Um, I mean, it has been before, and it will be again. And it will be again, absolutely, yeah. I mean, uh, because that's one of the never-ending story deals. But here's the thing: there are plenty of there are plenty of Star Trek uh, series. When I say plenty, there are you know a num a, a couple of them that that I think Discovery beats out. I had no problem with the things that that the internet was angry about in the in the initial episodes of the. Yeah, that was it. Got kind of silly really quick. Oh gosh, it's a spore drive, and it's before. How come they don't have? Well, sh- man, shut up and let them build. You know, and, and like let, let 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 it rise and fall. Just listen. Well just listen to any electric vehicle person talk about how the electric vehicles were around a long time ago, and we didn't even realize how to do it right. So, like, technology comes and goes, and comes back and goes away again it just deal with it um <laughs> so so maybe in in the next star, star trek series and that takes place after all of the current series you know they'll have spore drives again because they figured out how to do it and not have to kill anybody in order to make it happen and that uh, may happen maybe. in season two you don't know it might you never know i thought that i thought that there was i mean there's definitely some things that i didn't enjoy about this series but I, they were small quirks, small things that I, I thought that Michael was okay. I thought that the love story was kind of dumb. The the whole I am a Klingon inside of a human thing. The problem the problem with throwing that love story in there was you knew it was doomed, and the question wasn't whether it's doomed or not. The no, question I have is no how it's going to explode. I have no problem with doomed love stories. I prefer doomed love stories to happy ones. <laughs> I um, agree. My problem with it was, was it was just so stupid obvious. Like really, you've got a you've got a strong female lead character and and you've got you just got to put a love story like she can't just be a strong female character who's driven and wants like she, you've got to well, I mean, I, I understand making her vulnerable because good, good storytelling involves making your, you know, heroes, your your characters vulnerable. But does it really have to be because of a relationship? I mean, like, they made who, her vulnerable in the first five minutes by, right. you know, and you just kind of went, yeah, wow. Yeah, but like, like, does it really do you really have to add in relationship vulnerability in order to to sell a, a strong female character? See, I didn't think you did because the, she she sold that in the first fifteen minutes yeah. of episode one. 
I just I, I didn't get it. I didn't get it at all. Um, and that and that threw me out of the out of the narrative. So so that was my, one of my bigger gripes about the the series. I kind of liked the alternate reality stuff, the alternate universe. I thought I I have always liked those episodes in Star Trek. I always thought that they were interesting and fun. Um, but uh, it was kind of it was kind of the whole driving thing. <laughs> and so, so after a while I was like, I get it. Like once I figured out that it was, you know, there was alternate universe stuff going on. I was like, okay, I'll bet this is going to get pedantic. And it did. Yeah. But I, I enjoyed it. I watched it all the way through. I can't say that for all, all kinds of shows. So, yeah. And I'm actually looking forward to season two. I didn't Very pay much for the paywall. I'll say that. <laughs> you did. And, you and hear that? Just... You hear that? Is it ABC? CBS? CBS? It doesn't matter. You know why it doesn't matter? I got it off the internet. The weird thing is that the people who did pay for it, once the season ended, they dropped it. Yeah. And I mean, their, so their they subscription can't even go rate. back and rewatch it. Like, right. That doesn't make any sense. The subscription rate dropped by like sixty percent. It, so it's just it's we've had that conversation a million times. We have, and it's it's kind of nice to see that occasionally we can get it right when they get it dead wrong. So that that's about it for uh, for tonight's show. Uh, next week, uh, Cameron Quinn is going to join us, and she's going to talk about her writer's podcast. And the story that she put into the uh, new anthology beamed up. Week after that, Mike French from London comes to talk about his new book, Fictional Alignment. And on the 30th, Jay Moulton from Vermont HorrorCon and Vermont Comic Con comes to talk to us about, I'm guessing, comics and horror. Kriana, music? Maybe. <laughs> Sci-Fi Saturday Night is the official podcast of Granite Con, Keen Comic Con, Plastic City Comic Con, BooksandBooze.com, and ComicArthouse.com. Visit Comic Art House for some of the best deals on original art from dozens of your favorite artists. If you have a free moment, take a look at Sci-Fi Saturday Night's first anthology, My Peculiar Family, now on Amazon and BarnesandNoble.com. And check out, if you want, on Audible... My Peculiar Family, book one. Our intro music tonight was provided by Rob Watts. More of his amazing stuff can be found at robwattsonline.com. Now selling hot sauce. Our outro music was provided by Lawrence Made Me Cry. Check out more of their groups on lawrencemademecry.com. Many thanks. It's nice to have you cast here for once in a while. If anybody time down with Sweetheart and Son, we'll be on the for everything. Back this is Dome saying, Jack and Genie, I know.